We talked last Sunday about the early church. Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers, to the fellowship, to each other. Not in that order, but those were the four things they devoted themselves to. We talked about that. And we talked about what that devotion led to for them. The fruitful favor. It led to multiplication. It led to, it led to unity. And, and, and so we're, we're, we're jumping ahead just a couple of chapters and we're looking at Acts chapter 4 because one of the things that I want to highlight today, if you're taking notes, write this down. This can kind of be the header for your notes today. God is so faithful. Amen? God is faithful. As we just, as I just prayed a moment ago, He's constant. He's unchanging. In the midst of so much change, in the midst of so much, so many things happening, and so many things that are, that are different today, even the, as, than they were one year ago, God never changes. He's constant. His love never fails. He's faithful to us as individuals. It's important to see that. It's important to remember that. It's important to be reminded of that. And He's faithful to us as His church. As long as we continue to be a church... That's all about loving God, loving others, God's mission for the church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. As we continue to be a church that's about God's mission for His church, He will continue to bless us. He will continue to show us His faithfulness. And so, we show our love for God when we're devoted to His Word, to worship, to prayer, to lifestyle obedience, right? And we show our love for others when we're devoted to fellowship, the horizontal relationship, ministry, uh, serving, evangelism, mission, so on and so forth. And we must continue, we must continue, this is the whole kind of theme of last week. So if you don't want to, if you missed it and you don't want to go back and listen to the 52, 55 minute message, I'm summarizing it here in 45 before we get into today's message. Did you catch that? Okay. We must continue to be devoted to loving God and loving others. His mission, God will be faithful to us. He'll place His blessing on our ministry. Even in the moments we may not see it, even in the moments we may not feel it, He's there. He's constant. But, and here's where we're going to get today. You awake now? Okay, just making sure. I saw your head pop up. All right. There will be, look at your neighbor and say, there will be. There will be opposition. Right? We're promised that in Scripture. And that's one of the things we've got to deal with. There always has been and there always will be opposition to what God is doing or attempting to do on this earth. Jesus faced opposition. The early church faced opposition. Ministries down through the ages, even up until present time, have faced opposition for one reason or another. But another but. As long as we keep Jesus as our foundation, as our rock, as our cornerstone, we'll continue to see God's favor in this place. Matthew 16, again, where we're going to start, we see Jesus anticipating the church's opposition. 
right? Anticipating the church's opposition. Have you ever, have you ever felt like that? Have you, ever, have you ever been in a season in the church where maybe you're going to do something or you're going for something and you're like, <laughs> the church will never go for that. That's every church business meeting for me, right? Um, thanks for laughing, Mike. Okay. Um, but Jesus is anticipating the church's opposition while talking with his disciples. And we also see him give a major, uh, a major key to ministry survival. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Now when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So Jesus responded, verse 15, and said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? What an important question. One that I would pose to you this morning, church family. Who do you say Jesus is? When He, and, and you don't have to shout it out, I want you to think about it, okay? When someone asks you, what does Jesus mean to you? When someone asks you, who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that Jesus is? I think it's an important question. And Simon, Peter, replied in verse 16, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Verse 18, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the opposition, shall not prevail against it. What a huge truth there. A few truths. First of all, Peter's saying, you're the Christ. You're the one we've been waiting for. And, 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 and Jesus says, no, you didn't hear that in a crusade. You didn't hear that, you know, uh, uh, from, from, from anybody around here. But God, the Holy Spirit, has revealed this to you. And so then Jesus looks back at him and says, and I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now we're going to spend this morning talking about that piece right there. Because there's two elements to that statement that Jesus says to Peter that are huge for us still today. Number one is this. On this rock. On this rock. Church family, here's the reality for you as an individual, for me as an individual, for your family, for this church body, for any other church body that preaches the gospel of Christ. Here is the reality. Jesus has to be the cornerstone of the church. Jesus has to be the cornerstone in your family. Jesus has to be the rock in your life. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you say that I am? Right? Some version of foundation. Some version of solid rock. Some version of placement. I was out at the land the other evening looking at, at all of the things. And, and it's amazing if you go out and look at what's being built. We have our address now, 26 Cressy Road. Isn't that fun? 26 Cressy Road. Two, six. It would have been fun if it was... Anyway, whatever. Um, 
right? 26 Crescent Road. So we were out there and, and uh, walking around, and I was looking at all the concrete. I was looking at the pillars that they've poured. I was looking, and I was just thinking about how essential all of this is to the process. Because if you get that wrong, what happens? It's not built right. It's going to fall down. Well, I was listening to a story the other day. I don't, I don't remember what conversation I was in, but it was a conversation about a guy by the name of Herb Perry being in the Dominican Republic. And they were building a building. And, and they, they were laying concrete and they were laying, they were laying cinder blocks. And Herb tried to tell them that they were doing it in a way that was not going to last. And I believe it was about a year later that they had to rebuild that wall. Right? And, and, I'm, and I just commented, I thought, how fascinating that is. Because, because we never want to walk through a process of rebuilding. Now, Herb worked with concrete. I think of it in terms of Legos. Right? You can't build the top of the thing before you lay the foundation. And if you follow that thing step by step by step in building and piecing together a Lego set, guess what? It's going to build in such a way that's solid and stays. But if you know a better way, right, and you start going ahead and saying, oh, this piece is going to go here, it's going to be at the top, then guess what? It's not going to work as well. On this rock... So Jesus has to be the foundation. The second truth here that I want to point out to you in this verse that Jesus says to Peter on this rock, I will build my church. Who builds the church? Jesus. Right? Jesus. And we look to Him to build His church. There's not... There's no amount of money. There's no amount of good communicators. There's no amount of, 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 of anything that we can do that will build the church of Jesus. Now, here's the truth. We may draw a crowd, but we're not necessarily building a church. And there's a huge distinction there that we have to make. And if you ask me, as I read Scripture the more important thing to do is to build a church, not draw a crowd. Make sense? You can have a crowd show up every Sunday of people that you're not going to spend eternity in heaven with. And have no interest in getting right with the Lord. Right? But our focus has to be Jesus at the center and looking to Him to build His church to do His work. Does that make sense? So, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus uses a play on words here to understand just what the foundation of the church would be. When Peter correctly declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus blesses him, calls him Peter, using the Greek word Petros which means little stone. Which I love. Because Jesus is saying, hey, you're part of this. Then goes on to say, upon this rock I'll build my church. Then the Greek word Jesus used here for rock was Petra, or foundational builder. And Jesus is saying the foundation of the church is Jesus. The church isn't supposed to be built on programs or 
personalities. The church is supposed to be built on Jesus. And when it is, the promise is the gates of hell will not be able to destroy it. They might try. The very first church understood that very well. And as we look into the book of Acts this morning, we'll see that that's, we're finding out how we can be the church in this world. So look at Acts chapter 4. For those who don't know, who may not know what's going on here, Peter and John spoke healing into the legs of a man who'd been crippled since birth. Powerful, right? Which is, again, just responding to the promise that Jesus told them, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. After I ascend into heaven, you'll be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And after the miracle that Peter and John spoke healing into this man, after the miracle, they all went to the temple to praise the Lord together, to worship. And when the crowd gathered, Peter spoke to them about the reality of Jesus. And that they needed to turn to Him for, for salvation. And let's see what happened. Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. I love that. Have you ever just heard a truth before? Or heard something before and it just and you knew it was right or you knew there might be something to you, to it, to that truth, but it just greatly annoyed you? Anybody? Come on now. Yeah. Speed limits. When you've got open road right in front of you, greatly, I think we all need to go right and, and adopt the Western model of like 90 mile an hour speed limits on our, I mean, come on, right? It just greatly, the unwritten rule of the fast lane being the far left. And people just going out there on a Sunday drive in the left lane going five or ten under this, it greatly annoys me. That's not even truth, but it just I just needed to vent there for a moment. Josh, you were just following me, man, and just went, right? But I love, I, I love that. The, 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 the leaders, the religious leaders, the, the priests, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them. It's fun. Put them into custody until the next day. For it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name? Did you do this? Now, so all the religious leaders are gathering and they're trying to figure out how did Peter and John do this miracle? What's going on here? This must have been, this must have been a hoax. This must have been a show. They're trying to figure out on what power did they do this? Talk about overkill, right? I mean, you've got two fishermen and a former disabled man being worked over by literally dozens of the most powerful men in the city. The Sanhedrin, ruling council, the elders, the scribes, several high priests, surrounding these poor men, questioning them as if they were in the midst of a national crisis, all because they took a man's disability away. 
Of course, these were the same men who just a couple months before this had done the same thing to Jesus and eventually had him crucified. So imagine what's going through Peter and John's eye in this moment. They thought they had secured, these religious leaders thought they had secured their, their power, their control with Jesus' death. But now, here we go again. These guys are teaching the people something other than what we're teaching them and they must be silenced. By what power or in what name have you done this? Done what? Oh, you mean heal this guy. We're in trouble for healing someone. They must have thought. Right? Seems kind of silly, doesn't it? seems kind of silly. Get this level of questioning by this many people, it seems like overkill seems kind of silly if you think about it. I mean, the healing was evidence that God was involved. And these religious leaders, they didn't know what to do with it. And if God's involved in the healing, maybe, just maybe, He's involved in the message as well. But they didn't want to hear the message. So they ignored and they tried to explain away the healing. Listen, we've, we talked about this already this morning, but I've got to bring it back up right here for just a moment. Opposition will come against the church. It has happened ever since the church began. We see it right here early on in the birth, in the birth of the church in the book of Acts. Even though... They can see people's lives changing for the better through the ministry of the church, even though they see polite, most of the time, loving, gracious, and giving church people. There are people who will ignore all of these evidences that God is real because they simply don't want to hear the message. But regardless of the opposition, we've got to get over that. We're promised that. We've got to expect that to some degree. Expect that there's going to be hard days and turmoil and, and, and rough patches. We've got to anticipate those things. Regardless of the opposition, Jesus' message will bring forth fruit. If we go back to Matthew 16, Jesus telling Peter, you're Peter, on this rock, I am going to build my church. If we keep the main thing, the main thing as the church of Jesus, it doesn't matter the opposition that comes. It doesn't matter the things we go through. Fruit will prevail. That's encouraging. Like, I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. And some of us need to be reminded of some of these things. It doesn't matter. Fruit will prevail. Fruit will prevail. So, look at Acts 4.4 again. Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Okay, let's explain this just for a second. Up to this point, in the early life of the church, 5,000 people had gotten saved. 5,000 in just a matter of days. This included the 3,000 that got saved after Peter's first sermon. And it didn't matter that the main leaders of the church were being taken away to jail. God's message had gone forth and had done an amazing work. And what an encouragement that this is to us. That we don't have to convince someone that Jesus is the way by our own eloquence or by human means. 
God supernaturally does a work in someone's heart when we simply present the word. Look at Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11. For as the rain and snow come, yes, Lord, send it down from heaven. And do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging? That our faithful God will use His Word to change lives regardless of the presentation or the opposition that we face. It's comforting. It's comforting. These people, uh, by, by that powerful, miracle-working, transforming message, had seen fruit and were trying to understand it. And that's where the church comes in. We must get the message of the truth of Jesus to people. We must get the message of the truth of Jesus to people. Look what happened next, verses 8 through 10. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, that's important, highlight that, underline that, star that, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, I love how you slid that in there, whom God raised from the dead, by his, by, excuse me, by him, this man is standing before you well. Now, remember what's going on here. Peter and John, Peter and John and the, form, and the, and the man with the, who, who had been healed have been jailed by most of the powerful men in the city. They're the, they're the same men who had Jesus crucified. Now they're all surrounding them with accusations. And so Peter does a couple of things that given the atmosphere in the room are nothing less than amazing. Bold. Some might say unreasonable or dumb. Right? But nonetheless, amazing. He gives his accusers a triple whammy response. Y'all remember the whammy game? The, the, okay, anyway. A triple whammy response. First of all, he asks, why are we on trial for a good deed? But I want you to see how he asks. He asks respectfully, doesn't he? I mean, I mean he looks at him and says, he says, uh, rulers of the people and elders. Honor. Respect. Given. Why are we on trial for doing a good deed? See, see, see some, some of us need to look at our approach and how we're facing opposition. Right? Are we being honoring to those uh, in charge when we face opposition? Because there's a much different way Peter could have asked this question, is there not? Maybe you've asked an officer or someone in charge differently, right? 
when you've been corrected or stopped or pulled over or called into question. But Peter asks respectfully, why are we on trial for doing a good deed? Secondly, secondly, the resurrected Jesus healed this man. Whom, whom, and, and finally, whom you crucified. Jesus, the Christ, who you crucified, healed this man. So he tells the truth. He unashamedly, boldly asks the question, why are we on trial for a good deed? No doubt, Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, healed this man. But the Bible says, I mean, can you see? Can you see John? Can you see the, 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 can you see the man who's been healed leaning over and whispering into Peter's ear? Are you crazy? Are you trying to get us killed right now? What are you doing? What are you saying? These guys mean business. You remember what they did to Jesus? You trying to get us there? But the Bible says that Peter was filled, or another word for that word filled in this passage is controlled. I know we don't like that word control in today's culture, but, 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 it, but, but it literally means that Peter was being controlled by the Holy Spirit, which gave him, this is important, because that's what gave him the confidence to tell his accusers what they needed to hear. Not necessarily what they wanted to hear, but what they needed to hear. You see, they needed to hear the truth about who Jesus was. They didn't need some watered-down, apologetic response that would have given Peter his freedom. They needed to hear the truth that would give them their spiritual freedom, so Peter gave it to them. And Paul tells the church at Corinth that you and I are the messengers of God to this generation of people. We give people the message of Jesus first through our lives and even through His Word. And I know that sometimes we feel insecure, we feel scared, we, we feel embarrassed about it. But if we're willing to help people bring light into, in, into someone's dark life, God will empower us to be His messengers. In the same way that Peter was led by the Holy Spirit, controlled by the Holy Spirit, and had the words to say, the same God, the same constant faithful God will do the same for us. We might feel, okay, let's own this for a moment, that we might feel we're the only people in the world talking about Jesus. But I promise you, allow yourself to be controlled by God's Spirit and He will give you the strength and the power and even the words to be His messenger. Even the words to be His messenger. I, 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 used, to, I used to think, as a pastor, I, I used to... Um, there, there were a couple times in my ministry, especially in youth ministry, where I tried to um, where I tried to make it as easy on you as possible, or as easy on my students as possible. And so I, I can remember early on in my ministry saying things like, "Hey, you bring them, you bring them, I'll preach. You bring them." I'll give the message. You, you, you just bring them. You don't, have to, you don't have to do the Jesus talking. Okay, I'll handle that. I know, I know that's a little intimidating. I know, I know. And I realized 
that by doing so, I was enabling anybody under my teaching, under my preaching, number, number one, I don't believe that's biblical anymore, but number two, I was doing you a disservice. Why? Because God has specifically designed you and platformed you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in ways that I will never know how to do. The example that I love using is this. I have a dear friend who is a chaplain in NASCAR. Bless his heart. I look at that. Now, now, now here's the thing. I've come a long way. I've come a long way in my understanding of NASCAR. A long way. It is a little more than a bunch of guys turning left. Okay? I used to say it was just a bunch of guys turning left. Now I can honestly say it's a little more than that. They've got to gas up. There's a tire change in there, right? They, they, you know, I mean the pit crew does a lot of work for about 30 seconds and then they send them back out and then they go hang out until he comes back in again and they've got a 30 second job, two minute maybe, right? Job to do there as fast as they possibly can, right? Um, and, and so I've grown, I've grown to appreciate just a touch more about NASCAR. But my, but my, but my friend, I'm, I'm going to be spending some time with him this week. He, he gives his life to these drivers, to these pit crews, to pray with them, to, to be connected with the family. And I think to myself as he's walking out on these racetracks in these 100 degree days, ministering and walking through these shops and where, where there's car things everywhere, and stuff and 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 they're and they're doing all this stuff and they're analyzing the cars and they're looking at the cars and he's like man you see that right there i'm like that car and he's like no you see the engine you see how this is done you see it? yeah that's cool you know i don't get it i don't get it but god has positioned Dwayne in such a way to be a light among these drivers among these pit crews that I don't have. Now, you put me on a basketball court, I've got that. I've got that. I understand it. I know what they're talking about. I can talk to that group of people. You put me in a room on a Sunday morning, I can clearly talk to this group of people for a while. Right? God has positioned me in that way to share the gospel. But when it comes to teachers, when it comes to, you have such a greater platform and ability to share the gospel with your life before you even open the word to speak things about why you're different, to speak things about why your priorities are different, to speak things about why you have a joy that they might not have when things aren't going so well. You have a platform to do that that I simply don't have. And so when it comes, here's the point, when it comes to sharing the truth about who Jesus is, it is the entire church's responsibility. That we go out into the world Sunday afternoons to next Sunday morning to faithfully live out the truth of God's Word and share the message of Jesus to every person that we come in contact with to then come back on Sunday morning and be encouraged to go out and do it again. 
To be reminded of the message. To go out and do it again. To go out and do it again. To go out and do it again. And so don't... Here's the caution that I'm trying to get to. Don't psych yourself out and say, well, I didn't go to ministry school like, like Pastor Travis did. I, I didn't get a degree like Pastor Ian did. And I don't have years of experience like Lois has. I, I, I'm, I'm, not as, I'm not as gifted of a, of a communicator as this person. I'm, I'm not as relational as this person. I don't really like people. Right? Well, guess what? God has gifted you to go to all the introverts in the world that don't like people either and that wear shirts like, don't hug me, I'm a cactus, right? Those people, that group of people, right? Right? God has gifted you and platformed you in such a way to go and love them well because you know them. You see what I'm saying? And so it's all of our responsibility to be faithful to Jesus as His church to do the work of ministry. And so Peter gives them the bottom line of it all. Verses 11 and 12. He says, this Jesus, is, this Jesus excuse me, is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, who has become the cornerstone. Sound familiar to Matthew 16? You see how it flows together? This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved Peter gives them the bottom line of it all he explains the miracle this explains his boldness this explains the resurrection of Jesus this explains life that Jesus is the Christ, the one that the Jews have anticipated for centuries, have waited for, the one that the whole Old Testament, Old Testament speaks about and prepares us for. The one who is the cornerstone of life. I'm not really sure what happened there. But it's okay. We're okay. The bottom line of it all. Uh, um, I want to I read to you. I want to jump over here. Psalm 118. Verses 22 through 29. I want to read this to you because it, it just adds again. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God. And He has made His light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords upon up to the horns of the altar. You are my God. And I will give thanks to You. You are my God and I will extol You. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Again, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Our individual lives, our church's life must be built upon our cornerstone, Jesus the Christ. Paul tells the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2, 19-22, So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. 
So what am I trying to say this morning? It's a good question. When we line ourselves up with the cornerstone of Jesus, when we line up our lives with the cornerstone of Jesus, then and only then will we be living as God wants us to live. When we line up our church's ministries with the cornerstone of Jesus, then and only then will we be the church that God wants us to be. Then and only then will we be the church that God wants us to be. He is the foundation. He is the focus. He is our cornerstone. And I want to finish by looking at verse 13. As I want you to see their response. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived, I love this, perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Church, the only thing that matters is have you been with Jesus? When it, comes, when it comes to opposition, when it comes to hard times, when it comes to the moments that you want to quit, that you want to throw, into the, throw in the towel and give up on, the, on, on, on this church thing, on this Christianity thing, the only, the only thing that keeps you in reminder, uneducated, common, is have you been with Jesus? Not have you been to church. We talked a lot about that last week. Have you been with Jesus? Let us not replace a relationship with the church with a relationship with Jesus. He's got to come first. And so for, for me, I, I want to ask you this morning, have you been with Jesus? Have you been with Jesus? What does it look like to be with Jesus? I just want to give you three quick things. Number one, time. When was the last time you spent time reflecting on who Jesus is? If Jesus was to ask you, like he asked the disciples in Matthew chapter 16, who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus to you? And take time to reflect on who Jesus is to you. Who is Jesus? The second thing I want you to look at is your devotion. We looked at last week, Acts chapter 2, and, and the, the, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the prayers. Devotion. That, 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 that they recognized that Peter had been with Jesus. That's what Peter was devoted to. His priorities. And then lastly... Joy. Joy. I, I was reading in Psalms this morning. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me read this to you real quick. I wasn't planning on going here. Come on, worship team. You can come up here. That'll get everybody excited. 
As the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you. Listen, listen to this. Then, then David says repeatedly in this section of Psalms, like Psalms 42, 43, 44, is what I, is what I was reading this morning. Why are you so downcast, O oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Again, the same, same psalm at the end. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 43 at the end. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Three times in a psalm and a half, we see David, why are you so cast down, O my soul? There is hope in salvation. Some of us in the church this morning, I believe, July 2022, hotter than hot, reminded of what hell's going to be like, need to be reminded that, that, that and, and, and have a wake-up call. That there is somebody, I guarantee you, this morning, that, is, that has got it worse than you. There is somebody this morning that couldn't get out of bed. There's somebody this morning that doesn't know how they're going to eat the next meal. There's somebody this morning that has no hope of salvation, that has no hope in Jesus, that is blind, that is dark. There is somebody that has it worse than you this morning. And I'm not being insensitive. I'm just trying to tell you and remind you that, 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 that there is joy in the salvation of Jesus. And what I see is that the church is called to be marked by this joy and not walking around with our heads held low and being marked as Eeyores. The church of Jesus has too much hope and excitement in it before we even gather to be walking around as Eeyores. It's hot. But we're still getting to worship. It'll be cool. You'll get in your car in a few minutes and you'll be fine. It's not the end of the world. Right? We still have a place to freely gather where we can unashamedly, obviously, sing about the truth of God and proclaim the truth of His Word. There is a lot to be joyful about. And my prayer today for you is that, is that you will live a life of Peter. Who, even though did a good deed, was thrown in jail, being questioned for a good deed, and still proclaimed the truth of Jesus. No matter his circumstance. No matter his circumstance. We serve a God who loved us enough to send his one and only son to the cross. To die a sinner's death. In fact, the, the scripture even says 
because of his love for us, he did this. Be raised again three days later to go and prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. Promised the Holy Spirit to to come, created the church, gave us the gift of the church. And I, I don't know about you, family, but I tell that story, I think about that story, and I think, wow, there is so much to give thanks for. There is so much to be joyful about. There is so much to smile over. Because I get you. And you get me. Doesn't that make you smile? Thanks for forcing it, some of you. They saw the boldness of Peter. And they knew he had been with Jesus. Time, priorities, and joy. Let's pray. God, today, I thank You for who You are. I thank You for the message of truth that is Your Son. And I pray that You remind us all of Your presence. That You remind us all of Your love for us that while we were yet sinners, You sent Christ to die for us. In Jesus' name we pray.